The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. I think we need to guess what that one is. God bless America. Uh, invite your attention to thank you, Meg, very much. Uh, invite your attention this morning to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And just as we, before we get started with everything with the sermon, just a, a prayer for you. Uh, I'm hearing reports out of North Carolina, and this seems to be a genuine thing. Uh, Jack, uh, Jack and I were talking about this beforehand, uh, and I've heard this as well, Jack, about the Burlington Revival that happened. It started about eight weeks ago at a, a church service. Uh, uh, Mount Zion Baptist Church there in North Carolina, and uh, the pastor said, I don't think God's done with this revival, and uh, they brought in the big old school big tent. Many of you grew up with the old school big tents. They weren't old school then, but they're still big tents, and uh, they're having people come to know Christ, apparently, by the droves. Praise the Lord for that. You know, I'm just going to be quite honest. Sometimes you hear of these revivals, and they're nothing more than people conjuring up a lot of excitement. Uh, revival does not happen by a program in the church. Revival happens when God comes down and condescends in, 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 through His people. And for, friends, we need to pray for revival in our nation, not just to turn us back to a better time of the 1950s or 1970s. We need revival in our nation for people to come to know Jesus Christ. I hope you agree with that, because that's when change happens. And revival starts. You pray for those pastors out there, over 300 pastors every night at this revival. That's a lot of pastors. That's a lot of potlucks because it started at a Baptist church, amen? So you pray for them, but I just want to say that word is, you know, how do we start with revival in our nation? Friends, it starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with us doing exactly what God has called us to do on a daily basis, and that's to live the normal, narrow Christian life that is called out in the Bible. That's where revival starts, and as God blesses it, that's how it spreads. So that's, that's, that's the uh, freebie. Uh, for the morning. So there, you got your free taste of uh, revival for this morning. All right, First John chapter 1. You know, we have been studying through this whole year, uh, 2016, is back to the basics. Yes, back to the basics. We've looked at who God is, January through April. We looked at what worship is in May. Uh, we had a few Ask the Pastor questions, and we had Mr. Tom Hall here last week. And for the next couple months, we're going to do a verse-by-verse study of the book of First John. Say, first John, didn't we just do second and third John before? Pastor, you're out of sync. I am. But this book is not out of sync because this is the most basic question you see up there on the screen. How do you know if you're a Christian or in parentheses or not? And we're going to look at that because this is so important because so many of you probably struggle with this question. How do I know that I know that I know that I know that I really am a Christian? I have doubts, Pastor. There are times when I sin so bad, I make David look like a, a choir boy. You know, I don't know. You've had those thoughts run through your mind. How do you know that you know that you know that you're a Christian? We're going to talk about that through this coming up time. But as I open this illustration, I have to give credit where credit's due. My good friend Noah Brayman out of Des Moines, Redeemer Baptist Church, had this on his Facebook. I, I stole it from him and, and gave him the credit. But it's about a shepherd who uh, fell. Well, you just listen to this. It'll tie into what I just said about First John. This happened on June 7th of this year, but in Spain, about a thousand sheep ran amok after the shepherd, to be watching them, actually fell asleep on the job. 
Now, the sheep wanted something of a rampage. These are true pictures. This is 4.30 in the morning, and I think I'm saying this right. Asueca, Spain, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But police were called out to shepherd these people. So the police cars, they have video of this. You can Google this. They have video of these police cars taking a 1,000 sheep back to the sheep pen. Now, if that's not funny, I don't know what is. And ironically, ironically, the, the, the shepherd did not wake up until he saw the siren, or heard the sirens and saw the flashing lights coming. And they, he said, oh, by the way, here's your sheep. He just fell asleep. He said, really, I had no idea. But apparently he had left the gate open and all the sheep ran out of the gate onto the streets. Only in Spain, right? You know what? It's, it's, it's amazing how easily that can happen. And this is such an easy illustration for pastors. What's the illustration here? The shepherd should not fall asleep while the sheep are out, right? Well, friends, I pray as we study through 1 John that you don't fall asleep on what God is doing in your life. Say, Darren, I already know I'm a Christian, and if you do, praise the Lord. But I bet you there are some of you in this room who really struggle with the question of, have I fallen asleep and all God's people have run over here and I'm over here waiting to see if I'm going to catch up with them? I don't know. But as a pastor, as pastors here for Matt, Blake, and myself, I pray we don't fall asleep with the shepherd's hook about this issue. Look, too many people in our churches have made decisions for Jesus that have amounted more than nothing than verbal lip service to who Jesus is. Yes, I just said it. Look, you have to know who Christ is. That is what First John's all about. That's what it's all about because it all goes back to who Jesus is, right? Let's go over what we've looked at. Jesus is either a liar. He's either, he claimed to be something that he's not, and he knew it. He's either a lunatic. He was not who he thought he was, but did not know it. He really had no idea. Or he's legend, like most liberal scholars will say. He's just a legend like, uh, uh, like a Robin Hood or the Loch Ness Monster or UFOs or, or uh, whatever else is out there on those shows they make on sci-fi that make good comedy sometimes. Or he's Lord. He is not who he said, or he is who he said he is. His birth, his death, his life, his resurrection, all proves to be true. That's the question. That is the question. That's why John, in John 20, 31, in his gospel, the gospel of John wrote this. His purpose statement for the gospel of John was this, that these are, things are written so you may believe. John wrote that gospel, the gospel of John, so that we can do that. Friends, but we face so many distortions today of who Jesus is. Jesus is your homeboy, if you want him to be your homeboy, whatever that means. Jesus is your best friend. Jesus is, um, Jesus is a lot of things that Jesus isn't in the Bible in today's culture. Would you agree with that? You miss Jesus, you miss if you know who it is that is your Savior. But 1 John's purpose is to set the record straight. 1 John's purpose is to say, look, you can be absolutely sure this Jesus question in your life can be settled. You can not only know that you know there's a Savior, but you can know that you know that He will take you forever into heaven. And what an assurance that is. John wrote the Gospel of John, you could say, to convert sinners. He wrote the epistles, his letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, to confirm the saints. And the Revelation, the book that every, every church member wants the pastor to preach, and every pastor says, whoa, let's slow down. He wrote that book to coronate him as a Savior. So friends, we have to know, can we trust what we have about Jesus? If you notice the sermon title on your thing, it's how can we know anything? Can we really know this Jesus is who he said he was? Can we really know, pastor, honestly, without just being pastor speak, that this is the true salvation? How do we know these things to be true? 
Well, I think Jesus in his own words would say it this way. If you're a social media person, this phrase was influenced out of Twitter and Facebook. If you're not, you'll catch the phraseology no matter what. But the big idea is simply this. Jesus can't just be favorited like you would favorite something on Twitter or liked like you'd like something on Facebook. Either you murder him as the Jews did or you crown him as Lord of your life. Because our life is not just about being comfortable. It's about what Christ being made known. And that is what the book of 1 John is all about. So the question today is, how can we know anything? Isn't that a great question? Uh, if you, our, daughter, our, our daughter, Scarlett, has started, we were talking about this on the way home, or way, way home, way in today. She's gotten to the stage where she's in the I want stage. So it's I want to see on, on Friday. It's I want to see Steve, Steve Braden, if you're here. Steve is a hero in our house. I just want you to know that. And she, she is just, I want, you just can know anything because she, she thinks if she says, I want, she can know anything. Well, friends, if you want to know Jesus, praise the Lord, you can know him. Amen. How can we know anything? Friends, the ver- first four verses will tell us. We can know anything about Christ because we can have a desire to know this life. John will tell us that. We can have a desire to share this life. And we can have a desire to delight in this life that he has given us. Now, this book of 1 John is very interesting because there's no author. Look at those first verses. We haven't read them yet, but you notice every other book that we've studied usually starts out with a greeting. Notice the first verses here. He just jumps right into it. Some of you have friends in your life. It's not, hey, how you doing? It's like, whoa, here it is. You know, the fire hydrant opens up. It's kind of how 1 John is. 1 John's purpose is to tell us that right belief in Jesus, that right obedience to his commands, and right love for one another's, is our avenues of assurance. How do you know if you're a Christian? How do you know if you're truly saved? How do you know if God truly saved you when you came to know him? You know him because of what 1 John is going to talk about. John wrote this book in a time when people were starting to doubt whether things that Jesus said and the promises he made were actually true. But the cool thing about Jesus is that any place, anywhere, anytime, under any circumstances, Christ is true. That is the truth. Friends, John begins this not with a greeting. He says, look, here it is. Here's this life. You want to know what life is about. You want to know eternal life. You want to be assured of your eternal life. Then let's just jump right into it. Some of you, how many of y'all hate small talk? Be honest. How many of y'all hate going to parties and small talking about the weather and other things? We have a lot of party goers who like small talk, apparently. Like two hands went up. John's not giving us any small talk. He goes straight for the guttural. He goes straight for the end. Because he wants you to know exactly why we believe what we believe. With that in mind, that's a longer introduction than normal, but we're starting a book. Let's start up and let's stand if you're able this morning in honor of God's word. We'll read four verses, 1 John 1, 1 through 4, reading out of the English Standard Version, the same version that's in the pew. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and following. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, which we've touched with our hands, Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that we have seen and heard, and we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And verse 4, and we are writing these things to you that our joy may be complete. Let's bow before our Lord as we pray. Father, thank you so much for your word today. Father, I pray that we are not as leaders of our homes or businesses or churches falling asleep as that shepherd did at the shepherd's hook and the the sheep get out. 
Father, I pray if there are any wayward sheep that are truly your sheep, that, Lord, they would realize there is confidence in knowing that you will bring them back in the fold. That is evidence of your saving work and the work of your Holy Spirit, Father. Lord, but I pray as we study this over the next 10 weeks and look at the tests and assurances and things that are here, that, Lord, you would shore up those here who truly know you to know that no matter what Satan throws at them, that they are yours. But, Father, equally, if there are those among us, and I'm sure there are, that don't know Christ, that you would, by your grace, show them that it is not moralism, it's not church attendance, it's all Christ or nothing. Father, thank you that we have this assurance that no matter what country we live in, no matter where we're at, whatever time and place, that Christ is indeed Lord. It's in Christ's name and Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Now, just a word about this. Uh, you know, usually with the greetings as we start this out, uh, usually with greetings you can tell who the author is from the Old Testament t- or New Testament times. Again, John just jumps right into this. How do we know it's John? Well, the themes, as we study this book, you're going to see a lot of themes are the same. If you know John, you know John is very cut and dry, black and white, if you will, that there's light, there's darkness, there's truth, and there's falsehood. There's no middle ground. Um, John is walking, if you will, a narrow path because he knows the narrow way of Christ. He's walking like a cat between two bulldogs on the side of a fence, and he's like a cat walking on that. If he falls on one side, he gets in bad trouble. If he falls on the other side, he gets in bad trouble. It's like that cat, one step after the other, leading the way. That's what John is all about. And so the first thing we need to know is, how do we know anything? How do we know anything about our salvation? We need to have a desire to know this life, a desire to know this life. And you notice here that he talks about the very first, verse 1, he says, that which was from the beginning. Aren't you grateful the Bible's full of new beginnings? Think about this. Genesis 1.1, there was a new creation. Mark 1.1, the gospel of Jesus Christ came a new creation. Uh, John 1.1, the word became flesh, Jesus Christ. And now in 1 John 1.1, Jesus Christ, the God-man, becomes a man. And you're going to see that phrase, you might have it in your Bible, which, W-H-I-C-H. You'll see that phrase four times here. It's a very important phrase because it's going to draw our attention to two important truths here on this first point. First is this. The first thing, how do we have a desire to know this life? How do we know we're saved? We have to know and believe that Jesus Christ is truly divine, that Jesus Christ is truly divine. That's why he says in verse 1, that which is from the beginning, and down in verse 3, the eternal life which was with the Father. Friends, as we have so often talked about here, Jesus Christ is not just another man. Jesus Christ is not just another face in the crowd. Jesus Christ is not just another person who has a million likes or 20 million followers on Twitter, if that's your thing. Jesus Christ is the Father's Son. Jesus Christ has eternally existed with God the Father, and there has never been a time when He was not. Think about that. There has never been a time when Jesus has ceased to exist. You and me, we have start dates. We've had a couple birthday people here. We have Patricia's birthday today. Happy birthday, Patricia. And Pete back there, I think you're 61. We settled on that fact. We've had some birthdays lately. Meg, I know you're around here. You, you turned 37 this week. We, we, we discussed that over text. You had a beginning. Patricia had a beginning. Pete had a beginning. Jesus Christ has no beginning. And praise the Lord, he has no end. He was before the beginning, in the beginning, and from the beginning, if you can wrap your mind around that. This is what John believed, and this is what Jesus taught. Jesus taught in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. 
And John 14, 9, we looked at a couple weeks ago. If you've seen the Father, Jesus said, you have seen me. Friends, Jesus was not just another face in the crowd. Let it be reminded to you on a holiday weekend that Jesus is the divine Son of God. And that's the first application point here, is that Jesus is God, which means you and I are not, and I'm not again. Why is that so important to remember? Because some of you are facing situations where you are trusting more in who you are than what God has already done for you in Jesus Christ. Can I state again that your identity, Christian, is not found in what activities you do for Jesus Christ. Your identity in Christ was found when he rose from the dead, he died on the cross, he did all that he did. That is your identity. Some of you are praying about so many things that if you can manipulate circumstances to the right way, then maybe this will work out. I tried to do that, and it didn't get me a wife any better than when I started praying for one, and God brought me one. Amen? Well, if I could just buff up my muscles a little bit, maybe this girl will like me. Now, that didn't happen. It still didn't happen. Thankfully, my wife loves me for who I am and who God has called me to be. Amen, Natalie? That's right. (laughs) I'm just giving her a hard time. My wife and I are giving each other a hard time. But you know what, friends, you need to remember, if you're, whatever circumstance you are facing, that you are not God. That's not earth-shattering to you, but maybe you feel that you need to be to solve certain situations. Have you prayed about it? Honestly, have you prayed about it? Have you spent more than just a cursory prayer saying, God, please help this situation? Have you spent minutes, maybe hours, on your knees before the Lord saying, God, I am not you, you are divine, but I trust that whatever your will is, whatever your direction is, that you will bring this about. I think that's what the first thing that we need to be reminded of here about our salvation, friends. Salvation didn't start with you. It didn't start with me. It started with God before all time because He's the only one that has no beginning. So we need to remember to know this life, to know this Christian life. We need to know Christ is divine. second thing you need to know is that He is human. This Christ is. He is human. Look back at verse 1. He goes straight through the verses. Which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands concerning this word of life. John now presents a rigorous defense of who Christ is, the man. He was an apostle, a friend, John was of Jesus, and now he says not only was he divine, he's holy, he's the son of God, but he also was a man, just like you, just like me. And notice this wasn't hearsay. This wasn't, well, I heard from Joe Bob that uh, Sally Sue said that Jesus was like this. Now, that's where you get in trouble. Notice what he says here. He says, we heard, we, we saw him with, we heard him with our ears. John repeats this again in verse 3. If you go down, that which we've seen and heard. And then he says, we saw him. John states it three times. This wasn't a ghost. This wasn't Casper. This wasn't those odd ghost hunter shows that are on Discovery Channel. This was, we looked upon him. The phrase literally means gazing. It's like a bride looking at her husband as they walk down the aisle. Some of you ladies know that. You may remember that wedding day where you were so frazzled about how you looked, but at the end of it, you probably only remember staring at your husband because he was the one you wanted to give your life to. He says, John did, we touched him with our hands. He was real flesh and blood. Grab your hand for a second. Can you pinch yourself? Just lightly. Don't say ow. You're still breathing. Jesus breathed just like you did. That's a good thing. And he says, for three years we watched him. He wasn't a phantom or a ghost. And he finally says, we testify or we proclaim with our mouths that we are bona fide eyewitnesses 
to this. This was not secondhand. Who's the we here, though? Who's the we? Is that just John, like, you know, I don't know if you do this sometimes. I'll talk to myself in third person. Well, Darren should go to the store, or Darren should do that. Maybe I'm weird, but I do that sometimes. Is John just having one of those bouts? No. John is testifying to the apostles, uh, Peter, John, the 12 disciples, those who God commissioned to write the scriptures and those who saw the risen Lord. We ourselves saw him. This was not me hearing it from someone else. I literally saw, heard, touched, and I come to you to tell this is true. And that's the second sub-point to you, friends. Jesus is human as well as being divine. He's the God-man, and Jesus took on human weakness so that we can live in the strength of His grace forever. Jesus took on human weakness so we can look on the strength of His grace forever. It is by grace that we breathe every breath, folks. It is by grace that God put you in this country the way that He did. God could have put you in Bangladesh that had a terrorist attack, I think, on Friday night or Thursday night our time. God could have put you in Baghdad where 105 people were killed overnight in a bombing. God put you in this country. God, why did you do that? God has put you in the time and the place, wherever you are, no matter how weak you are, so you can serve Him where you are. That's where God wants you to be. And friends, this life that He's given us is eternal. And I pray that you remember that this holiday week. And look, we are so grateful for the freedom of this country, and I will die for the freedoms of this country and the people who serve, if God so calls me to. But ultimately, our freedom is found in Jesus Christ. Our freedom is found in Christ. And we need to remember that, especially as we live in this world today. If you're weak today, praise God for that. If you're weak today, thank God for that. If you are struggling to find the strength of former days, thank God for that. Why? Because God can use you better now than he could have ever been when you were strong in all those areas you wish you were stronger in. That is our God of grace. God sent forth his son, fully God, fully man, to die for our sins. Why is this important? Let me just take an aside. Why is this important? Why must we, how do we know we're Christians by believing these things and Guys, this is the longest point, the first point, but historically, two things. Why is this important? You believe that God in Christ is fully God and fully man. Historically, it's important because this is how people have gotten off track. John is writing most likely to a group called the Gnostics. Most likely, there's debate on this, but most likely he was writing to defend against a group called the Gnostics back in his day. The Gnostics believed that they had some hidden secret knowledge that no one else could have. And they appeared in a variety of ways, but it was all this mystical kind of thing. Uh, it's more like New Ageism is today. If you've ever met a New Ager, uh, and I'm just going to say this, uh, Thursday, many of you asked how the door knocking went with the training. We got to go over, and I won't say the specific street name, but we got to go in Gracemore and talk to a young lady named Christina, who was a Wiccan. And she was literally, as we knocked on the door, and, and that, that door opened, and she opened the uh, storm door, she was literally bowing down to her wicked God right in front of her eyes as we were knocking on her door. True story. In our neighborhood, three-fourths of a mile that way. And she said, you know, I just can't ever know that we can believe in anything else. I mean, my God died for me, my wicked God died for me, and you say Jesus died for you. Why can't we all just get along? But did your God raise from the dead? Well, no, he's dead. Well, that's scary. Who are you bowing down to then? 30 minutes later, and finally we got to this point. You could just see her face. She was friendly, and, and one of the guys with us did a great job by God's Spirit speaking into her life, and he just said, you know what? He said, what if everyone, what if I just stepped in your house and just started stealing things from your house? Well, you're not welcome in my house. 
Well, didn't you say that everyone can believe whatever they want to believe, no matter if they're sincere? Well, I'm sincerely believing I want that thing in there. Can I have that thing? And her face said, no, that's mine. So you're saying there is a standard of truth somewhere in all this, aren't you? And her face went from smiling to just mad because the next turn was this. The guy who was with us, Adam, said, you know what? There is a judge, and you can't come to him and say, I believe in this, and he believes in that. There's got to be one way, or there's no way at all. You pray for Christina because, friends, historically, she's believing exactly to some degree what we are seeing right here in 1 John, taking a little bit of truth that's in the Bible and twisting it all around. Why is it important that Jesus is who he says he is? Because, friend, if he is not, then we have to throw out all that we have in our Bible. Why do we have vacation? Let's think about practically in our church. I thought I called you Vicky. Um, Becky, it's an E at the Y. E-Y. Becky, thank you for leading Vacation Bible School a week ago, being the commander. Thank you to all those who helped. But why would we have Vacation Bible School if there's no Jesus for who he said he was? Why, why come here today? You could be shooting firecrackers off in your garage because it's raining outside, right? Please don't try that at home. I'm looking at John. John Higgins is our resident expert on this stuff, and uh, that's probably not good, right, John? And blowing things up in your garage, or maybe it is. I don't know. Yeah, I've blown up soot before, so who am I to talk? But, uh, but friends, my point with all this is to say, look, how do you know that you have eternal life? Again, this is the longest point. I just want you to know, we believe Jesus in a certain way, not to, to, not to spite people, not to say, look at us, we're better than you. We believe Jesus in a certain way because that's who he said he was. Back in John's day, people said, well, Jesus is just, he appeared to be God. Well, that sounds great until it gets down to brass tacks. Well, was he or wasn't he? Those were the docetists. Or maybe, maybe you were like the Corinthians who said that, well, God was on Jesus until he died on the cross and then he left. What? How do you, why did he die on the cross? Friends, we believe that it's by faith alone, by grace alone, and Christ alone that we are saved no more nor less by the God-man, Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man, the same one who holds your prayers up, who holds everything in your life up, is the same one, if you're a Christian, who holds your salvation from beginning to end, even before you believed in him. That is our God. That's why it's so important to get right who he is, because if you miss him, like Benjamin Franklin will, and I'll share this with you, like Ben Franklin, guys, you can go ahead and throw that up on the screen. Ben Franklin, one of our founding fathers, said this on March 9, 1790. This is an exact quote. It's too long to put on the screen, but I'll just read it. He said, As to Jesus of Nazareth, I think the system of morals and his religion, as he left them to us, the best the world has ever seen or will likely ever to see, but I myself apprehend it was received by various corrupting changes by humans. And, and I have, with most present dissenters in England, some doubts to whether he was God though it's a question I do not dogmatize upon having never studied it, and I think it needless, here's the phrase, I think it needless to busy myself with it now as to whether he is God. It's our founding father. Friend, be very careful. Be very, very careful that you don't have that same attitude that it's needless busyness to know who Christ is. That is the greatest question you can ever answer in this life. How do you know Jesus is your Savior? How do you know you have salvation? Then you have settled that question. Do I know the biblical Jesus? Or do I know a cultural Jesus made by TV and Hollywood and writers that get paid a lot more money than we'll ever see? Is that your Jesus?
Let's move on. That's the longest point. I promise you that, right? Amen? I have a desire to know this life. How do, you know, how do we know anything? You have a desire to know this life. You have a desire to know this life that is in Christ. Secondly, you have a desire to share this life. Look at verse 3. He goes on to say, uh, that which we have seen, again, the we's, the apostles, though who testified, that which we, the apostles, all the Christian witnesses have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. The impact that Jesus had on his followers cannot be put in words, folks. It is amazing what happened to them. They were radically changed. The book of Acts tells us that they turned the world upside down, that the impact of this life was so amazing on these people that it changed everything about them. It changed everything about them. And what they wanted others to know is they could experience that same thing. So this little thing is broken up into two things. First, we want to invite everyone into our fellowship. Verse 3 begins with that phrase again, that which we have seen and heard. That phrase see, is that's the third time in four verses he said that. But the real crux, the real reason that he's led up to this verse, this is the thesis verse of this whole section is verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. We declare to you, we announce to you, we herald to you is literally the translation there. John says, look, we can't be silent about this, this truth that we know. We can't just zip it up on Sunday morning or, or during the week and come praise God on Sunday morning. This is who we are. This is what we've seen. This is what has happened to me. Look, and, and he goes on to say, he said, I, I have to testify to this. To what end? What is your goal in sharing Jesus, John? Well, he tells you. Look at the second half of the verse. So that you too may have fellowship with us. Aren't you grateful for that? I've told you before, I was the kid on the kickball team that always got picked last because I was the scrawny kid that couldn't run to save his life until I realized I could run longer than them to save my life, and that worked. But I was always that kid that got picked last. You know, when someone invited me to come play a game, you, you know how you feel, right? You feel great. You feel, I feel uh, part of this group, and, and maybe you're visiting with us, and you need to have that experience. And let me just say, there's Sunday schools and small groups that we'd love to have you in Bible study to get connected with this church. But John says, look, the reason we're proclaiming this life, the reason we're inviting you into this life is we desire to share this life of Christ. We want you to know about it. You know, uh, I've never met a new mama that didn't like to talk about her baby, right? I've never met a Royals fan that didn't like to talk about the Royals. Oh, wait, there was 30 years of no talking. Sorry. Bad example. All I, I know bad example. But look, you, ch- you talk about what you cherish, don't you? You really do. You really uplift what you like. Friends, this is a call. This is a call that it, it's a joy that we have with each other. What is he calling us to? He's calling us to fellowship with one another. Let me just be very clear. Fellowship is not just eating a meal together, though that may be part of it. Fellowship is not just um, talking sports, though that may be, lead to a spiritual conversation. Look, the word here is koinonia. It's used four times in verse chapter 1. You, you know, you can go to any group. You can share values with people. You can share uh, beliefs with people. You can love the same things. But ultimately, what sets apart Christian fellowship from the fellowship you have when you go sing the national anthem or watch the royals or do any of those things is that you know Jesus Christ. Do you see that difference? John so loved the church. He so loved everything that was happening in the church that no one was excluded from being part of that church. No one was excluded. 
He invited everyone in to believe that this is the truth of God's Word. Come join us. The party's happening right here every Sunday. Come on down. We're going to worship this Jesus that died for our sins. Come on down. Come on down. And friends, that's exactly our call today as well. I know many of you struggle, as, even as pastors, I often do, to, how do you strike up that conversation with someone about the gospel? It's a tough call. Uh, uh, you know, some of us were talking before uh, the service about the training that we had on Thursday, which I think is excellent. We're going to get Tom back here to share the gospel in a very simple way. If you can draw three circles and make a couple lines, like a football diagram, you can share the gospel. And this is exactly what John is saying. Look, we want you to know this life and share this life. How do you know if you're a Christian? Friends, one great way you can check the temperature of whether you know you're a Christian is whether you want to share Jesus with others. Some of you really struggle with this, and I understand. Paul did. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, he came with fear and trembling to the Corinthians. The apostle Paul was fearful to tell about Jesus. Some of you may say, well, that doesn't leave much hope for the rest of us. Well, it does, because he had the same God we do today. Many of you really desire to share the gospel, and I believe that to be true, but you struggle with how. That's not the person I'm talking to right now. The person I'm talking to right now is a person who says, I'm a Christian, but share Jesus. What's that all about? I don't care about Jesus. I just got my flu shot of Jesus. I got enough of Jesus. I don't want to share Jesus with a friend. Then maybe Christ hasn't shared his eternal life with you if that's your attitude of who it is. Please hear me clearly. If you desire to share the gospel, that's a great sign that you know Jesus Christ. Even if you struggle with it, even if you flop and flip and fail miserably as your pastor often does. But if you have no desire to share like that new mama or the 2015 world champion Royals fans about the Royals, if you don't have that same desire to share Christ and you have no desire, you just, Jesus is just something in your mind you do because that's what you've always done, then can I submit to you, you may not know Jesus Christ. That's struggle. Please hear that clearly. I'm not saying if you have not shared Jesus in the last week, you're not a Christian or what have you. But if you have no desire, no desire whatsoever, and you confess your sin, you have no desire, that is a check to say, do I truly know Jesus? Because John said, look, if you know this life, you're going to want to invite people in all the time. Does that make sense? I hope that line makes sense. Guys, we're going to skip that first sub-point. I've gone a different direction in my notes, but... What else? Why do we do this? Why do we invite people to know Jesus as we are? It's because of this. It's because of this. He goes on to say, because we have fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Look, fellowship is not just having a meal together. Fellowship is coming together, talking about who Jesus is. And that's an amazing thing. And friend, let me just, I just want to get the second point out, Adam. If you want to skip that first one, I know it's got to go up, but just go ahead and put that first one up. I just want to dwell on this fact for a second especially as we come before on, an, on a holiday. Friends, I, I want to submit to you that you have more in common with a Christian from another country than you have in common with a non-Christian neighbor. A Sudanese Christian has more in common with you than the American non-Christian who sits across from you at work or who lives across from you at the street. Why is that? Why is that? Because we share something that a secular organization uh, uh, living on a street cannot do. We have Jesus Christ, amen? This does not mean that we don't do anything with our country. We need to celebrate what God is doing here, amen? That God has given us a great and beautiful country. But I want you to remember that 
as you pray for our freedom this weekend, as I pray in the pastoral prayer, would you pray for other Christians across this nation who are not Christians, who around the world right now are suffering for the gospel? Because not only have they been invited to know eternal life, we have been invited to know eternal life. And when we get to heaven, I am grateful, so grateful for our country. Please hear this clearly. So grateful for our country, friends. So grateful. But when we get to heaven, there's no more American. There's no more, oh man, what's an odd country I can throw out there? There's no more Madagascarians. There's no more Saudi Arabians. There, you are coming together in Christ. And would you pray that with all the influence, all the freedoms that we have here in this country, that we would use every opportunity we have to share the gospel, to invite others in, to say, look, I love Jesus, I love America, but I love Jesus more. And I know that is a real struggle because right now in our current situation, it is hard to stand for Jesus in the midst of a lot of crazy stuff going on in our nation. I know that. But I want to encourage you that people around the world are praying for you. And I would encourage you this week as you take your personal prayer time, your private prayer time, your family prayer time, to pray for Christians around the world. Not just to live in a country like America, but to know that we are united across in one name, and that name is what? Jesus Christ. That is the amazing God that we serve. Because our fellowship, you notice here, is not with any particular group or whatever. Our fellowship is indeed with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That is awesome. That is so awesome. So, so awesome. We'll end with this last point. Friends, if you know Christ, then you'll have a desire to know this life. You want to know more about Christ. You want to share that life. And that's the second one. You want to share that life. You want to do that. But fourthly, you want to have a desire to delight in this life. Man, sometimes a Christian life can be fun. Don't you agree with that? Who's had fun as a Christian before? Be honest. Now, more hands went up about that than anything else we've done. And that's awesome. It is good to have fun as Christians. You need to have fun as Christians. You really do. It's okay to have fun in Jesus' name. It really is. And I think some of you need to come and run with me one morning whenever I get back to running. We can have fun in Jesus' name, amen? I have fun with our ladies on Tuesday mornings, even though I can't quilt to save my life. I can, they don't even let me stuff pillows because I can't get it right. It's that bad. No, it's not true. They, I just don't. But look, whatever it is, have fun with Jesus Christ. Delight in this life. Because look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. What's it say? He's writing all these things to you. Not that you'd be sad. Not that you would be in the dumps. Not that you would have less happiness. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Parents, hear me clearly. You can teach a boy or a girl to do whatever you love to do, whether it's a sport or a craft. Have fun with those things. But if that's all you teach them, you've lost the parenting call that you have. The parenting call you have is to teach them about Jesus, and that's where it starts. He's writing these things not so that they can have better hope in their baseball team. Six, six games out, Tina? Six games out of first place. Although that would be nice. He's not writing these things so that they can have anything else but joy knowing that Christ is who He said He is and that they have seen it, they have testified to it. Oh, that would be our desire in the church today. Look, friends, we have a common theology. We have a common salvation. We have multiple things. Look, some of you are going to go blow up things this weekend, and I'm scared to even light the wick because I'm afraid I'm going to blow up my hand. You know, that's how bad it is. Some of you will look at me and running and say, I would never take a step that way because I don't want to run that far. Praise the Lord. God's gifted us in different ways. But one thing we share in common is the joy that it comes to know Jesus Christ. It is a joyous thing. Friends, it is a super joyous thing. Joy is the music that plays. 
when our heart is dialed to the gospel's frequency. Joy is the music that plays when our heart is dialed to the gospel's frequency. Look, you want joy in your life? Dial it into the gospel. I think that's like 97.4 if you're, if you're paying attention. Um, I don't know what it is. But look, the gospel is your joy. The gospel is your joy. Friends, I love everything that God has given us. But our, 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 our hope is not in, uh, you know, your school being the best school that it is. Your hope and your joy is not being that your, your, your sports team wins the, the thing. Your joy is not being, and, and be honest, this is a struggle of our heart because our kids have struggled with this. Our joy is not that our kids go to sleep without screaming. But it is a joy when we get ice cream and hide in the closet to wait for them to go to bed. Because we've done that. Our joy, friends, and please hear my heart in this, our joy is not just that we're Americans, although that should be a great joy that we have. Praise the Lord, we live in this country, amen? But our joy is complete because Christ has given us who He is. That is our joy. Everything we've read is our joy. I don't know what you find your joy in, but that is our joy. That is our joy. Is your heart in hard times dialed to the gospel's frequency? When you are struggling with happiness, bitterness, discontentment in your life, you need to preach the gospel to yourself. God, I thank you that while I was yet a sinner, you died for me. Not only died, you rose again and you're coming again. That is the joy we have as Christians. That is the joy we have. I've got a lot of notes here and I've gone off a little bit of track, but I just want to end with this. There's a lot to be said. There's so much to be said with this book. Friends, I pray that you know that everything that I say has had to be filtered through my mind. And you pray for me because this book is challenging. This book really puts up front who Christ is in our lives. But John believed, and I just want to end with this, John believed that theology mattered. Ooh, there's that T word. And the cringing begins. Friends, John believed theology mattered and so should we. Our joy in Christ can only happen, can only happen Let me say it again. Our joy in Christ can only happen when we know who Jesus is, who we are as Christians, and who we are called to be as Christians. If you miss that, then you've missed what Christ has given you joy in. John had no interest in Jesus minus theology or Jesus plus theology. He wanted Christ and Christ alone. That's why for many of you, and I'll end with this point, that's why many of you don't confuse your sense of assurance with your justification. It's not a strong faith that saves you, but a strong Savior. Many struggle with the fact that they feel a sense of assurance. They feel, note the key word, they feel that they are a Christian because they have done certain things. But no, it is not your faith that saves you. It is Christ that saves you. A strong faith does not save you, but a strong Savior. I mean, think about this. Think about the example. Many of you know the example of Samson. You know, Samson is a mystery you can study. That guy was, he was strong. We know that, right? What happened to Samuel? He eventually gave up his secret of his strength. Do you remember the story? Those of you who know the Bible? He gave up his secret of his strength, and they, not to be gross, but they plucked out his eyes as a way of humiliating him, the Philistines did. And uh, what ended up happening to him? He stood before. They chained him up underneath two towers, chained him up, the strongest man probably to ever be in the Bible. They chained him up, 
And he was a man who made so many sins. God, you know, he wasn't supposed to marry a certain woman. He, all these things, but God gave him one last chance. And it, he was not strong in that moment. God had taken his strength away. And his last prayer, do you remember what it was? His last prayer was something to the effect of, God, I've sinned greatly, but let me take out as many of your enemies as I can at one time. Do you remember what happened? He goes, and it caved down in. It was not his strong faith that saved him. It was a strong Savior that saved him in that moment. Friends, we are here today and our joy is here today, not because of our faith, not because of a decision we made, but all because of Christ. If there's anything you take out of this sermon, I just want to ask you this question. Is Christ everything that you do and everything you do it for? That is the biggest thing. Look, there's a lot of things we can go through, but I just want to know, want you to know that God loves you so much. Many of you really do struggle with the question, how do I know anything's true? Friends, if you have a sense about who Christ is, you have a sense about who He stands for, if you desire to share Him, if you delight in this life that He's given you, those are great markers that you know Jesus Christ. They really are. But many of you are going to look at this book, and some of you are going to ask that question, man, I don't stand up to any of these things. Let me just say this, and I'll say it a lot as we end. How do you know if you're a Christian? It's the tenor of your life. Many of you will go off the path many times in your Christian life. But at the end of the day, is there a flicker? Is there a flicker that God gives you that pants to know God to some degree? That is great hope that you know Jesus Christ. It's that person that John is trying to separate from that says, I know Jesus, but it's exactly everything Jesus says in a way he said not to do it. And has no remorse, has no sorrow has no anything over it and just keeps walking that path. Yeah, I know Jesus. I'm good, but I just did this, this, that, and the other that Jesus said not to do. I, you know, that's why 2 Corinthians 7 says that worldly sorrow brings nothing, but godly sorrow brings repentance. Do you know Jesus today? If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for coming. We love you all so much. This is a tough book, isn't it? It really is a tough book. But I promise you it's a book that if you know Christ, you will be reassured to know him. Rejoice, Christian, that Christ is Lord. Let's stand up, we'll pray. And I'll ask Blake and the team to go ahead and come up this way. You stand and we will bow our heads and pray this morning.